0: There's an old saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. We're going to look at a drastic and exaggerated idea of that today on the No Sanity Required podcast. Welcome back. Welcome to No Sanity Required from the ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. Hey there, welcome to the No Sanity Required podcast. I'm excited uh, for today's topic and discussion. When you look in the Bible, there are some fascinating and interesting families, but none more so than the family of Jesus. Uh, in, in general, the entire lineage and bloodline of Jesus is, has got some very colorful and fascinating characters. And in particular, if you look at Jesus's family at the time that he was on the earth, he had several brothers and sisters, all of whom initially rejected his claims to be God, but who through the evidence of his resurrection converted and then began to worship their brother as God giving really a very powerful apologetic or defense of the claims of Christ you got these people that were his brothers and sisters who, uh, who tried to shut him up at one point. And after seeing the evidence that Jesus was God and and that being undeniable evidence, then they ended up following him as their Messiah. But I want to look this just briefly in today's episode, I want to look at, at some interesting things in the lineage of Jesus. So the, the, The New Testament records two different lineages, Matthew and Luke. And Matthew, we're going to zero in on Matthew's lineage, and you'll see why in a minute. But Matthew's lineage is, uh, it's a Jewish, it's a Jewish record. And so for the Jewish people, they could follow the, they they were very particular about lineages. If you go back to, uh, for instance, the book of Numbers, There's a lot of names, a lot of numbers, a lot of people, and you can follow family records. This was real common in ancient Israel. And so for Matthew to trace the lineage of Jesus, what he was doing is he was following from the time of Jesus back up to King David, showing how Jesus was a descendant of David. And then from there, we could follow from David all the way back on up to Abraham. And so then he stops at Abraham. So like Matthew stops at Abraham because, and why would that be? Well, because Abraham is the father of the Israelite race, the Jewish, the Jewish race, race and nation. And so Matthew shows us the lineage from Abraham to Jesus and what he does in showing us that there's a lot of powerful, um, like, uh, significant names in that bloodline that give strong Jewish credibility to, to the bloodline of Jesus. And then Luke, he he goes on beyond that and goes all the way back to Adam, showing that uh, ultimately all people descend from Adam, and so we're all connected through Adam. But what I want to look at today is is some of the more colorful and interesting characters in the lineage of Jesus. We recently did an episode on the life of Rahab and the conversion of Rahab, who becomes one of Jesus' ancestors. And there are actually three other women in the bloodline of Jesus, the first one is Tamar. I want to look at her story just briefly because it's a crazy story. It's absolutely, it's it's, it's mind blowing um, to to try to wrap. It's disturbing, to say the least, and it's crazy to try to wrap wrap your mind around it. And then I want to look at. Of course, we looked at Rahab, and then I want to look at Rahab's um, Rahab's son married a woman named Ruth, uh, and and so Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. None of them were. Israelites. None of them were Jewish. They married into the line of Christ. So it's interesting. First off, you got to understand ancient, uh, historical narratives, ancient historical record. Women's names were not included. They did not include women in, in ancient records. And so one of the things that's really powerful and beautiful about the ministry of Jesus is that he included women. In fact, women were among the first eyewitnesses giving credibility to the resurrection of Jesus. So contrary to what people have taught through the years, Christianity in its purest and most biblical form liberates and frees women to a, a, a standard and a level of equality with men that no other world system has ever done. And so when we go back up through that lineage and we and we see these women, each one of them has a crazy story. Then Then later on you've got, uh, Bathsheba who was the wife of Uriah Uriah was a Hittite so he wasn't a Jew and so you've got these non-Jewish people being woven into the lineage of Christ and I want to just talk about why that might be first I want to just read um, Tamar's story you'll find that in the book of Genesis and this, the story of Tamar is fascinating and and but like I said it's disturbing um, and it takes place um at at a, at a very dark time in history, you find the story in Genesis chapter 38. And, uh, let me put on my, um, my high speed tactical reading glasses. It's intense. Um, (laughs) uh, so, okay. So Genesis 38 records the story of Judah and Tamar. At that time, Judah left his brothers and settled near an Adullamite named Hira. There, Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua. He took her as a wife and slept with her. She conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Er, or Ur. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, named him Onan. She uh, she gave birth to another son and named him Shelah. It was Chezeb that she gave. Uh, it was at Chezeb that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So inner Tamar. So Tamar is the wife of Ur. The firstborn son of Judah Now you, you might have noticed that Judah married a non-Jew and Which would have been super common at that time Because the Jewish nation was just Judah and his brothers That was basically the house of Israel So uh, there, there weren't It wasn't a large nation at this point It was basically a family Or like a small tribe or clan And so Judah marries uh, his son Ur er off to Another woman in that region, that region of Canaan, which was, uh, an area that was inhabited by non-Jewish people and, and, and tribes and things like that. And so he marries his son off to this girl named Tamar. Now Tamar would have been Judah's daughter-in-law and, um, over the course of time, um, this family is going to see incredible tragedy and heartache and hardship. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord put him to death. So Ur, Judah's son, dies. Under the judgment of God, he dies. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife, perform your duty as her brother-in-law, and produce offspring for your brother. So you read that and you go, what in the world is that all about? Well, this this is an ancient practice that would later be woven into um, the Jewish law, and 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 something that was referred to as the kinsman redeemer, but this was an ancient practice where what would happen is a a, a man dies and he doesn't have any heirs to his thr- to his uh, house or his like his land, his estate, whatever he dies, and so he leaves behind a widow who is childless, and you're talking about a culture where having a child was everything having a a son was very critical, um, to your stability as a family in a very unstable world. And so, uh, what God would have this, uh, this brother do is marry his brother's widow. Uh, it's, it's weird. I know it's crazy. Different time, different time, different place. Um, the way God worked was was a little bit unique in that period in history, and so the brother would marry his brother's widow, and then would impregnate her. The son that she had would then take the place of her dead husband. You tracking with me? So, so essentially, Judas got a son. His name is Ur. Ur is married to Tamar. Ur dies. Tamar now will. Is is to be impregnated by Ur's brother, whose name is Onan. Onan is going to get Tamar pregnant, but then after the baby is born, Onan steps out of the way and that baby takes the place, that son takes the place of Ur. He becomes the the co-heir to Onan. And remember, Ur was the firstborn. Okay, so now what happens if if Ur dies and there is no one to take Ur's place? Is that Onan then becomes the the larger beneficiary of the estate of Judah. You I hope you're tracking with this. So Er dies, Onan becomes the firstborn and um and so Onan doesn't want to what he does is he goes to to Tamar, his brother's widow, and he has sex with her, but he protects her from pregnancy. He doesn't allow her to have uh to, to have a baby. And the reason is he doesn't want to share the, we, we would assume he doesn't want to share the, the family wealth. And so he connives and uses her sexually for his own pleasure, but, uh, in sort of this half hearted attempt to fulfill his obligation to his dead brother. Um, he, We see the wickedness in his own heart. Verse 9, but Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he released his semen on the ground so that he would not produce offspring for his brother. What he did was evil in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. So now you got two dead brothers. Ur is dead, Onan is dead. Tamar is still a widow, and she is still childless. This is very important culturally. In the West, we can't totally grasp this. For a woman to be childless in the East, especially in the ancient East was, was tear, like it was the, it was one of the worst things that could happen to you. And so Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son, Shayla grows up for he thought he might die too like his brother. So she wouldn't live in her father's house. So he sent, so Judah sends his daughter-in-law Tamar. He's like, go home to your, to your family, live with them. I've got one more son. When he's old enough, I'll marry him off to you. But he doesn't do it after a long time. It says Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua died. So Judah's wife dies. There's a lot of names here. You can follow along if you need to Genesis 38. So Judah's wife dies. So now Judah is a widower. His two sons and his wife have all died. He has one son left. And he does not give that son to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, in in marriage and sexual union because he's afraid that that son will also be struck down. And so he also is disobedient. His wife dies, and it says when Judah had finished mourning, he and his friend, Hira the Adelamite, went up to Timnah, to his sheep shearers, Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's clothes, veiled her face, covered herself, and set at the entrance to Ename, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Okay, so, so Tamar acts like a prostitute. Now, at this point, it's real easy to think, to kind of throw Tamar into judgment, but let's, let's pause and let's think about the big picture. She has been wronged in so many ways at this point in the story. Okay. Now keep in mind, women were uneducated. They weren't typically allowed to work in the public square or marketplace. They were reliant on the care given by a husband. That's why you had a lot of polygamy, a lot of abuse. A lot of women were mistreated Tamar has, has been brought into this family of men who are all train wrecks. I mean, and, and Judah is a name that in our, in our biblical understanding brings like strength. You know, it's, you think of Judah, you think power, strength, this is like the lion of the tribe of Judah is the name given to Jesus. David was, was raised in the lineage of Judah, but right now we see the frailty of Judah's character. And so Judah has wronged his daughter-in-law. he's and so he's left her as a widow without the opportunity to remarry without the opportunity to have a son and she's taking matters into her own hands is what she's doing and so she dresses as a prostitute and goes and sits in the square where she knows he's going to be passing by he's he's been a widower for some time now a widower and so um She's going to seduce him is what she's going to do. Verse 16. He went over to her and said, come, let me sleep with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She's got a veil over her face. He doesn't recognize her. She said, what will you give me for sleeping with me uh, for sleeping with me? I will send you a young goat for my flock. He replied. But she said, only if you leave something with me until you send it. What should I give you? He asked. She answered your signet ring, your cord, your staff, and your hand." So he gave them to her, slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. She got up and left and removed her veil and put her widow clothes back on. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get back the items he had left with the woman, he could not find her. He asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was beside the road at Enam? There's been no cult prostitute here, they answered. So the Adulamite returned to Judah saying, I couldn't find her. And besides, the men of the place said, there's been no cult prostitute here and so she's uh, i hope you're tracking with the story um she agrees to sleep with judah he doesn't know who she is they make a business transaction he leaves his personal belongings it would be the equivalent of his wallet his driver's license um and you know and, and official documents in her care his social security card i mean she's got this dude like she's got him he he's he's sort of at her mercy and then he's going to send her payment for her services in exchange to get his stuff back well when his buddy comes to to deliver payment he can't find this prostitute well it's because she's not a prostitute she's she's gone back into mourning but she's pregnant okay so that's a huge plot twist she's pregnant judah replied let her keep the items for herself otherwise we'll become a laughing stock after all, I did send this young goat, but you couldn't find her, so Judah's like, hey, we tried we tried to pay her, it didn't work, we can't find her, just let it go, man. I like it'll be it'll be humiliating if I if we make a big deal out of this. So we see like again some insight into Judah's character here. About three months later, Judah was told your daughter in law Tamar has been acting like a prostitute, and now she is pregnant. Bring her out, Judah said, and let her be burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. I'm pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she added, examine them. Whose signet ring, cord, and staff are these? Judah recognized them. So so she Judah catches wind that she's pregnant. His daughter-in-law's pregnant. She's been living back home with her folks. And Judah finds out she's pregnant. He says, that's it. We're going to kill her. We're going to stone her. She's brought shame on the family name. And so... He sends to have her stoned and she sends his personal belongings and says, okay, um, I, I tell you what, uh, the person who impregnated me is the person that these personal and private items belong to. And Judah realizes, oh no, this is, these are my things. Listen to what he says. She is more right than I, since I did not give her my son, Sheila, Shayla, and he did not know her intimately again. So, so the, the end of the quote, so quote, she, Judah said, quote, she is more in the right than I, since I did not give her my son, Shayla unquote. And he, Judah did not know her intimately again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. You see some parallels and themes here with these twins to like Jacob and Esau and some, some other, uh, passages, uh, There's some some neat things going on there. Verse 28, as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand and the midwife took it, tied a scarlet thread around it, announcing, this one came out first, but then he pulled his hand back. Out came his brother and she said, what a breakout you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread tied to his hand, came out. His name was Zerah. Now let's jump back over. To the book of Matthew, in the lineage of Jesus, it says, starting with Abraham, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah, and Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. It doesn't say that the lineage of Christ came through Judah's one surviving son, Shelah. It says he came through Perez, who was fathered by Judah, in the womb of Tamar, It's fascinating man. He brings he brings this. So Jesus comes through the lineage of an act of prostitution. So what are we to make of this? Let me give you in our last four or five minutes here. We wrap this up, and then we're gonna we're gonna follow this up with the next episode. We're gonna keep. We talked about Rahab. We talked about uh, Tamar. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna follow this up with sort of a part three looking at these crazy stories consider these six things in the lineage of of jesus six things i want you to consider number one all men live and die in other words all men are born all men live and all men die so jesus put himself in the in the like the process of humanity he was born he lived and he died but on the bookends of that he was conceived in the womb of a virgin by the Holy Spirit, and then he conquered death through the resurrection so there 's the distinction over the birth life death of Jesus number two what there 's one lineage from all the peoples of the earth it is estimated that one hundred and seven billion humans have lived in history we can go back to the beginning of time and trace one lineage and one bloodline through all of history it 's crazy so so 107 billion all descended from one one lineage, one bloodline. That was Adam and Eve. And we could, we could whittle that down to the time of the ark and say everyone descended from Noah's family in one sense. But you had some Noah's daughters-in-law that were married in from other families. So that's why we don't go back to Noah. I've, I've had people ask me, why don't we just say everyone descended from Noah's family? Well, Noah and his wife had sons who then had taken daughters from among other people. So that's a broader... Um, you know, that's a broader ancestry. So if we go all the way back, we all descended from the same two people. This is where, this is where racism, I don't want to get off topic here, but this is where racism gets absolutely asinine because there's no, there aren't multiple races of people. We're one race. We're the human race. There are different ethnicities and lineages um, in, in like the subsect or the subcultures of the world, but there, we all descended from Adam and Eve. Number three, Jesus became fully human. Luke's purpose in recording this is to illustrate with facts and knowable data the humanity of Jesus. Matthew's purpose in recording this is to illustrate the same things in the Jewish uh, like documentation. We know that Jesus is fully God. This is critical to the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, the God Man. Number four. Uh, The scripture teaches that he's the son of Adam and the son of God. If you go to Luke's lineage, trace it back, it goes back to son of Adam, son of God. We are sons of Adam. And the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam we all sinned. Jesus comes as the son of God, the second Adam, so that he might redeem and rescue what the first Adam did. So we all descended in the line and lineage of the first Adam, and, and we're sinners as such. We're born into sin. Adam was our representative head, and so he was our representative figurehead in, in that race of humanity. Jesus is like the second Adam, and when we come to him in faith and receive salvation, he takes the place of Adam as our spiritual figurehead. Number five, this lineage goes through the royal line of Judah, Jewish kings, the, the lineage in Matthew, but if we go into Luke's lineage, it goes past Abraham all the way back to Adam, and what it does is, and as we've seen here in this, in this study, it brings both Jews and Gentiles into the lineage of Jesus. So Jesus, we learn in the book of Romans, becomes the savior of both Jews and Gentiles, but even in his lineage, going back to the time of, of Abraham and his immediate descendants, there were both Jews and Gentiles in the lineage of Jesus. And last, number six, the lineage of Jesus includes prostitutes, thieves, kings, preachers, adulterers, farmers, businessmen, chieftains, peasants, scholars, professors, slave traders, warlords, and slaves. This is a pretty traceable group of people ending in Jesus of Nazareth, reminding us that Jesus was born among sinners in a line of sinners. So what's extraordinary about Tamar's story, I think there's a few things and in, in, in a closing thought here is that in Tamar we see and in Judah we see the most ugly components of humanity. Tamar was mistreated, misused, abused, sexually used, and then marginalized and pushed to, to like the perimeter of society and left to live out her days in loneliness. But But in her desperation, she acted, and God showed her grace and favor. And in Judah, we see that God did not need perfect people to bring his son into the world. Judah is so far from perfect, and this magnifies his imperfections. And so we're ma- reminded that Jesus is the savior of sinners. He's the savior of Jews. He's the savior of Gentiles, and he values people, period, He loves Tamar and he had a purpose for her life. And if, and if he did, then we can take joy in knowing that he has a purpose for our lives. And so let's, let's, as much as we are sometimes confused by the things we read in scripture, let's look at the big picture that Jesus is the savior to the world, which means he's the savior of sinners. And what a good reminder of that. And the fact that he came in a lineage of broken people to bring salvation to a broken humanity. Thanks for joining us. And I'm looking forward to the next episode where we pick this conversation up. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.